Hey listeners, this is Let Me Know How It Is, a podcast about all things geek. We're spotlighting the Michael Sarah movie, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. If you're new to the show, thanks for coming. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode. And remember, if you have an idea for a topic you'd like to hear on Let Me Know How It Is, go ahead and leave it in the comment section. We might use it. And now, on with the show. Okay, today we shine the spotlight on Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, actually, as the movie is titled, which was released 10 years ago this week. I'm Zach Slater. I'm Frank Mellon. I'm Tommy Smithereens. I'm Clifton. Okay, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World was directed by Edgar Wright, based on source material created by Brian Lee O'Malley and published by Oni Press. The movie stars Michael Sarah as a lovable slacker that beats the girl of his dreams, and in order to win her over, he must battle and defeat her seven evil exes. Mary Elizabeth Winstead co-stars as his dream girl, Ramona Flowers. Eagle-eyed fans will also catch a few other notable appearances in the cast from actors who have portrayed other superheroes on film and TV. Despite the film's pedigree, this movie was not a monster hit, actually. Scott Pilgrim grossed $48.1 million off of an $85 million budget. But in spite of its disappointing performance at the box office, this film has gained cult movie status as more and more people discovered over the years. So let's get into it. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. All right, we timed this episode to to coincide with the movie's 10th anniversary. It also happens to closely coincide with the 10th anniversary of the conclusion of the graphic novel series. Volume 6 came out in, I think it was July, about a month earlier than the movie of 10 years ago. And so we're going to be focusing on the movie, but we will, you know, bring up the comic and the graphic novel and the original source material here and there as as a cross-reference to the other stuff we're talking about. Just to go into a little bit of the origin, the comic book series or the graphic novel series started, was first published in 2004, the first volume being Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life, a story and art by Brian Lee O'Malley based uh, loosely on on people he knew and, and life situation of his at the time. And it was by the second volume of the series was when it got optioned to become a movie. So he finished the rest of the series while the movie was finishing production concurrently, which is a, an interesting thing to compare where the similarities are, because early on in the movie, it's like panel for panel out of the comic almost. But then as it gets into the material that he had only provided them an outline with and was working on himself while they were in production, what's covered in the later volumes, it starts to, to be a little bit different. Yeah, I I remember hearing an interview with him and he had uh, kind of an interesting uh, um, way of looking at it where he saw the movie as like the first half of the movie is a second draft of his work. And they did stuff in the first half that he liked better than the stuff he put out in the book. (laughs) But then he was like the second half of the movie because they were just going off of his notes. He was like, it's it's like a his work is almost like a, a weird second draft of the movie in some ways. Yeah, there were things they came up with for the later parts of the movie that he was like, oh, I like that. I'm putting that in my book. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's a truly unique uh, circumstance for that book, I think. I, I don't know. I mean, there's a ton of books that get optioned early, but I don't know how many have that. Like, are, like you said, like are, are the book is being produced as a movie is in production at the same right. time. Right. 2001 A Space Odyssey. But other than that, I can't think right. of many. <laughs> Ninja Turtles, I guess. The first Ninja Turtles, possibly. It might have been. I don't know. I got to 
we got to look into that. Right. Um, anyway, I mean, so so what gets me about this movie is like right from the first frame, the Universal logo is like this pixelated video game, right, right. Uh, uh, like like eight bit sounding music. And, and it's like I just think that the, the tone is set right from the first frame right there where you're like, OK, I know this is going to be a fun ride. I yeah, I've seen a joke recently on Twitter that references like like when they play around with that studio logo, you know, the movie's going to be crazy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it does it does set the tone. I mean, it definitely lets you know like what you're in for cuz it goes from that pretty soon into the uh there's a little scene where we're introduced to Scott and his friends and and Knives Chow and the situation that Scott's dating a high schooler. And then it goes into the to the opening credits of the the movie with the music by Beck. And and definitely it goes from like that the opening credits with like the video game universal logo to like this really abstract kind of opening credits scene where after the like you know you're not in a normal real world. Right. Yeah, I mean it's it's the one thing I neglected to kind of point out as we were doing the intros and everything like that. Like this movie does have a very heavy uh video game influence to it, which I think is very, very cool. And, and it's something I appreciate of the movie, but it's not, it's not what, what I remember this movie for right. weirdly as it's, as it sounds, uh, this movie's got a ton of heart, I think. And, and, and I just love that this, this movie, the, the, the entire idea appears to be motivated by that point in your twenties when you're starting a new relationship and you're kind of comparing yourself to the exes that, this this new person that you're dating has had right and you're sort of like am i cooler than this person am i not cooler than this person right, right? you know what i mean like like you know i have similar qualities to that guy does that mean this <laughs> relationship is doomed to fail right you know what i mean right right like i i think i just think the whole movie is that that dynamic is is the whole movie to me yeah and i've read some notes where he, he discussed the the autobiographical aspects of his life was that he had moved back to Toronto at that point in his early 20s and was dating an American girl and that he just became came or became kind of fixated on just the idea of her past relationships as he was forming this new relationship with her so he's definitely said that that was a draw the video games are like half of the reference material that he drew into this games he talks about growing up on like old classic Nintendo stuff uh, particularly River City Ransom, which comes up, uh, which is referenced uh, several times throughout the graphic novel series. And then the Scott Pilgrim video game that they put out around the time of the movie itself was heavily inspired by River City Ransom. And then the other half of his influence is uh, Japanese manga and anime. And I've seen him, I believe it was on Twitter, specifically reference a manga series that was turned into an anime series called Nana which is about a couple of girls in their early 20s moving to Tokyo. And uh, one of them is in a band. And basically, it's, it's kind of about like these young adults starting out in this music scene in Tokyo. It's very soap opera-ish. Gets into like their love lives, just their friendship relationship as they grow and change throughout you know, adapting to the city. So those were his big influences. And not as excellent, so I recommend that one too. I've seen all of the anime series so far. It's got great music too, just like South Pilgrim movie. It's got great music. Yeah, my sons keep recommending that to me with a bunch of other sad ones. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, but the video game aspect of it is what drew me in because you get the Zelda um, lullaby in the intro as well before they even start talking. Whether the drop into it into when um, 
child meets the band members and things before right. the um uh, the big um uh, opening scene where they perform their first song for the uh, thing but there's it's literally littered with nothing but video game references you yeah have, we get the fairy fountain music later on you get the, yeah exactly the fairy fountain music you get the final fantasy um music in it as well his p bar that's that's only <laughs> yeah. in there too. My favorite one though is I, I think this is such a beautiful scene. It's the moment where like so like Ramona's in his life already, but he's still dating knives, right? right. And they're and they're at the arcade and they're playing like like that that dance revolution fighting game thing. Like right, this, is, this is really this is really yeah. where you're gonna see how stupid I am about video games. But I like the moment where the where the game ends and they got like the giant continue screen where you need to like insert coins right uh-huh. and i love that that's the moment where he's like thinking do i want to break up with her do i not want to break up with her? what do i want to do here and i just think that like that's just such a cool moment that ties the video game trope in with such a beautiful emotional dynamic of the scene yeah oh definitely yeah a lot of moments like that in this movie but yeah no um a lot of foreshadowing yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Throughout the whole movie, it, it, it feels like certain um, um, certain scenes are set up for a greater scene in which it's telling what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like when he's trying to um, get Ramona to his house and he sets up an Amazon delivery. But right before he does that, there's an email out of nowhere <laughs> that literally tells him what's going to happen. But he like blows it off as yeah. if it's nothing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Skims it. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. He, get, he, he gets an email that's like, you know, I'm, I'm one of Ramona's evil exes. We're going to fight. Like, you know, and he's like, oh, whatever. Yeah. He's like, it's junk mail. He says, this is so boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They do. An- that's one thing I noticed about when they're setting up the, the, the stuff prior to the fights is you get a nice, there's a nice tease. You know, there's a, the foreshadowing is really good because you get, you know, a glimpse of a character that you know is coming up or like with the email or whatever. There's, you know, there's at least some anticipation built of like, well, okay, what's going to be the deal of, like we see the trailer with, um, was it Lucas Lee? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. that's that, that's how they that's how they foreshadow him and Mae Whitman's character is the one that that you know basically comes out of nowhere to you know they get Scott Pilgrim. Right. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I think they you know, and it was one of the things where I thought it was really cool the idea that everyone even even well, I mean, we're spoiling it because it's a ten year old movie and we're talking <laughs> right. about it. But watch it now if you haven't seen it. Yep. Yes. Stop right this second and then come right back <laughs> after when you're, when you're done. But no, like like the, the the reveal that Gideon is the same person that's that's judging the Battle of the Bands, right? You yeah. know, you don't really get that the first time through. You don't. You may. You know, you might have, but I didn't. But you know, I like the fact that all you know, even with the fact that the fights are set up, as well as the fact that these evil exes are coming, they're all set up pretty well ahead of time. Yeah, it's definitely like a boss battle because they're all lined <laughs> up one after the other, one at a time. Yeah, like mm-hmm. in a video game definitely it's nicely done too like it, like given that it's it's not a terribly long movie no either like it's under two hours you know Just and the fact that, the fact that they have to like introduce uh um seven x's for him to battle right yeah. you know what i mean it's not like a harry potter movie where they have movies to set this up like everything is completely self-contained in this one you know well, I was curious again watching it, you know, seeing it. I've seen it a couple of times since I saw it initially, but I hadn't seen it in you know, quite a while. But I was just curious about when, not so much when they're introduced, but actually when the fights start. Mm-hmm. Like, I timed it. Okay. And it's, it's, it's 30 minutes into the first, like, the first bit of, like, you get 30 minutes of the movie set up, and then he fights Matthew Patel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. <laughs> At the 45-minute mark, he fights Lucas Lee. <laughs> <laughs> At an hour and five minutes, he fights Todd Ingram. All right. And then 
Um, one fifteen, he fights Rocky Rick, Roxy Richter, mm-hmm. and then he fights the twins. Uh, the Katanagi ten twins. minutes. The kind of yeah, Katanagi twins is five minutes later, and then Gideon is ten minutes later. So it's like it's a pretty tight movie. The fact, like you're saying, they don't have a lot of time to screw around. Then they have to foreshadow something and then get to it, basically. Yeah. Well, I like how they um, segue to different scenes. Like there's one mm-hmm. bit where where he invites Ramona to the uh, to where they're playing after their first date, and instead right. of saying the place, they show the yes. name of the place, and the people are right there in the midst of going to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's the, the segue is almost seemingly in different ways. Yeah, it's not. They do a lot of the good stuff like that. There's one like towards the end, right before they have the um, when they basically sign, when the rest of the band signs and leaves Scott, mm-hmm. where um, you know, Ramona's like, I don't know what it is. I just know what it is about him, but he's just, I don't know. It's just, and they play under my thumb, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rolling Stones, <laughs> yeah which I thought is a great bit because it's like, oh, okay, well, we everyone knows exactly what you're talking about now. So, nah, there's a lot of subtle references throughout the movie that if you, uh, that's what I loved about it is because it's a. Uh, favorite that i like to watch in my sense because when i saw mm-hmm. with them we moved there and we just crack up the whole time but <laughs> yeah. the old and then the more you see it and when you see it at all after time there's certain things that you didn't touch upon until later that it's almost subliminal in what they do and and what i love about too is the glares they give each other mm-hmm. and, and when, when someone's mad or awkward like for example when he invites ramona to the uh, to the first band battle, right? And then there's a glare between him, Ramona, and um, Knives, and it's just awkward as hell. But you see, <laughs> and, then, and then there's more glares between the band members because when they're announced, they'll send this. They have another girl as a drummer, and then they glare at each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah. yes, they do a lot with just scenes. I was surprised at uh, like how much they were able to adapt the gags from the original graphic novels. And just, uh, I read them all before the movie came out. And, and then just to prepare for this, we watched the movie again. And then I read not the entire series, but I read the first volume and the, and the last volume. And like that, the gag at the first Battle of the Bands with them all glaring at each other that ends with Wallace glaring at Scott's sister's boyfriend yes mm-hmm. and, and like that is all straight out of volume one like panel yeah. for mm-hmm. panel and yeah. i was like it's amazing that they took like a, a comic gag and made it work as like a live action movie gag and they do yeah. that a lot a lot yeah and i like how their comic they, they take from the comic backstory every time he tells a backstory it's it's in comic form right like yeah. when um, um todd ingram punches a hole in the moon yep basically doing it in comics which if you ever see the moon in the movie there is a hole in it there's a hole in the moon yeah you have to look yeah yeah yeah. blink you'll miss it moment i didn't know that that's hilarious that's okay he plays fair it's most notable when the karinagi twins blow the roof off the place i think yeah and you look up you see the moon Mm -hmm. (laughs) i like that all the fights had like a gimmick built around it right you know what i mean we're like Mm -hmm. when he fights lucas lee who's an actor and right. he's like he's like i'm nothing without my stunt team and it's this <laughs> it, it, he's like just fighting off like all these doppelgangers of him right. you know and then i love when when he's fighting roxy like he's he won't hit a girl so ramona <laughs> right. is like is like fighting her for him but like she's just like using him as a puppet yeah <laughs> yeah you catch the southerns with lucas lee where it's like they're on a movie set and right, since yes. the movie set, since they're in Toronto, which is where the uh, story takes place, 
the movie sets made to look like New York because a lot of movies set in New York are really filmed in Toronto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when he's crashing into the backdrop, it's a backdrop of New York. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then I love too is the subtleness of every X has their number somewhere in the scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like for yeah, um, Lucas Lee, you can see the two on his car. <laughs> Todd Ingram is blatant. It's like a three across his right. chest. He's wearing yeah. a t-shirt. <laughs> t-shirt. Yeah. 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 Those are my two favorite fights in the whole movie, though. And I think that that like in the Lucas Lee one is the one that that uh, Brian Lee O'Malley was talking about in the books where he was he was saying, like, at the time he wrote it, he was he was like really big into like anticlimactic stuff and everything. And he's like, that's why that fight in the book is like, you know, they're eating like carrot sticks and stuff. Like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. and, he, and that was one of those scenes where he's like, no, I really like like that stuntman stuff. And everything. I thought that that scene was done really, really well. Um, and so that was like my favorite. But the I still crack up thinking about the Todd Ingram stuff and the reveal were like, like the source of all his powers is that he's vegan. Yeah. Yes. They're just better than everyone else. Better. You know? yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's a good bit. Yeah. And the yes. cameos for the uh, vegan police, Thomas G yeah, yeah. and, and uh, <laughs> Clifton Collins Jr. is the other actor. Yeah. Good stuff. Yep. So we get a Punisher checked off in this movie too. Yeah. Like I said, oh, yeah. there's a lot, there's a lot of superhero <laughs> oh, actors yeah. in this movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, get, we get, we get the Huntress. Huntress. Yes. Get, yep. We get Captain Marvel. Captain yes. Marvel. We haven't brought up yet, but we do get her. Yes. We will get her. We get Superman. Yep. 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 As well as the Atom. <laughs> yeah. Then Kingdom Come Superman in the Crisis crossover. Well, I'm missing who else? I'm Captain, Captain America. America. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yes. Is that it? Is that it? Uh, well, it, Aubrey Plaza is also in Legion. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yes, yeah. you're right. You're correct. It's crazy. Yeah. I feel like there's more. I feel like we're missing some. Oh, no, yeah. And Fuller from Home Alone. <laughs> you know, who's who's related to Kevin McAllister, who might as well be a superhero. Right. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh yeah, this this movie's cast looking back at it is so unbelievable. And this was this was like Michael Sarah like at the height <laughs> of his of his celebrity, <laughs> I think, right? right. Yeah. Like yeah. this is one he was everywhere. Yep. Super yeah. bad, Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was the lead. Yeah, definitely everywhere. Yeah, he's good in this movie. I, 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 it's this is a tough role, I think, because because Scott is like does so many like douchey things, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and it's yeah. really tough, I think, to do that and be like and like one to be the hero of the movie, but also to be likable. It's not one of those movies that were like. Right. It's not like Taxi Driver where we're watching a horrible person unravel. <laughs> right. We're watching like, like you know, a nice guy. Uh, well, yeah. like, we're I, supposed to relate to this guy. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. But if you look at it again, he's a, yes. he's 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 terrible from from the start. I mean, yes. he, we're introduced to him saying that he's dating a high schooler. Right. And that yeah. is <laughs> like that is the, the point. I mean, yeah. it gets taken it's presented in a, in a kind of quirky way. Like, Oh, like look at this, this fun idiosyncratic thing. But like, Mm -hmm. like the whole point of it is that he's not grown up and he needs to grow up. Yes. Sure. And that is the entire theme of the book is, is him growing up or in the movie is him growing up. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Cause I mean, I've always taken it as basically we're alluded to his past relationship with envy Adams and we know it did not end well. Yes. And it traumatized him. Yes. And it's pretty much seems to be because he at his, you know, early adulthood couldn't 
deal with an adult relationship. He couldn't deal, deal with an adult relationship ending. And so he decides to seek out something simpler, something innocent, which is why he's just happy to be handing, holding hands with a 17-year-old girl who tells him about yearbook club and stuff. Yep. Because mm-hmm. it's like it's like a safety he retreats to and that he can't deal with being an adult in adult relationships. And then that does carry into the theme of meeting Ramona, who's got all of this baggage. Yeah. And and that that's just what adult relationships are. So he has to learn how to deal with all of the baggage that comes with being in an adult relationship, including his own baggage that he won't admit to. Oh no, you're hundred percent right. correct with the analysis of it. But I like how the movie points it out because there's a scene right when he meets Ramona that Aubrey Paz's character lays it all out there. She names every girl that he, that he dates, including the band member who is, yeah, who is still traumatized by the relationship (laughs) and calls him something, something jerky jerk. Cause everybody knows that he's that individual. Yeah. And she's got a great line in that scene where, where she's like asking if he's over, you know, envy and yes. and his friend Steven Stills is like, oh, he's he's fine. He's he's out of mourning. He's dating a high schooler now. Yeah, yeah. And she's so just that like, is, that is the is morning. The morning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I like is the scene where um where he goes with Wallace to meet her at school, which is creepy enough. And he says the thing about, well, they have boys too, right? Which is like, what? Yeah, yeah. Right. And then uh, and, he avoids it. Yeah, Wallace avoids it. And 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 Wallace does the like the sensible thing and grabs her by the sh- grabs knives by the shoulder right. and says, "You're too good for him." Yes. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. The seventeen year old is better is is so much better for than the twenty two year old. Yeah. I mean, Tommy and I were talking about it a little bit earlier before we we started doing the the podcast. Just the idea that you know your entry character is pretty you know. He's kind of unlikable. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, and and I and I understand that the journey of him growing up is what this thing's all about. But it's one of those things where he does a lot of, like like uh, Zach was saying, he does a lot of douchey stuff right up front, and you kind of like, you know, you can identify him with him. But there's also stuff in it where I'm kind of like, you know, I, I I'm hoping he's going to pull it around by the end because he doesn't start off as being anything. So he's so kind of eh, yeah, yeah. At the beginning, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. with that Michael Sarah bit. But he starts to get as he as the more the fights go on, he's his character begins to become more and more angry. And I don't mean like like in a bad way. I just mean he's I guess maybe it's more focused. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's, I mean it was one things where I didn't remember like thinking back on it. I didn't remember thinking, wow, <laughs> everyone around him knows what a douchebag he is, but he's you know, <laughs> but he's supposed to be likable at the same time. Yeah. So. Right. Well, yeah. is, and is that one bit too where he uses the same line on women? The, the, the Pac-Man line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. same exact line he uses to get Ramona. And, and, yep. yes. and he still gets her. <laughs> yes. Not with that line, though. Yeah. No, yeah. not with the line, but it was it's just really doing the same exact line he gave to Knives. Wow. That's, yeah. that's yes. so messed up. I do think though, I do think that Michael Sarah, though, just like just just his charisma though is like what I think sells the audience on it. It's just the fact that like, he's, he's just, he's weirdly likable, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and just about everything. And th- so this is the thing about it though, that because I saw the movie first and then, and then I read the first uh, two or three books. I can't quite remember. I didn't finish the whole series. Right. But after I read the books, I remember thinking, I kind of read Scott a little differently in the books than I do in the movie now right mm. there, there's like a nervousness that scott has in the movie right. that that to me 
I, I don't really see the character that much in the book. Like in the book, I've been trying to think like all week how to say this. And it's like really hard, but it, he appears to be a little bit more confident right. in the book yeah. in a sense. Like, like he's much more like, this is who I am and I'm great. You know, at the same time, like acknowledging that, you know, like, uh, he's got faults for sure. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And the other thing too, like to kind of go off what you were saying, Frank, it's, he struck me in the books as somebody that was much more easy to get an angry response out of. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, like a comedic angry response though. Like he seemed to be much more like emotional. Like maybe that's <laughs> just me. That may just be how I'm reading it. But well, in the books, it was much more announced that he was a fighter. It's mm-hmm. more, it's more pronouncedly stated that this is what he does. And it's not as a big shock as when you see him do it with the other exes. Right. And, when, the, when Matthew Patel shows up in the books, they're like, don't, don't they know Scott's the best fighter in the province? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. really? Big time. Big time. Because that was a question that I had, and, I, and I, n- I never really, it's one of the things I've thought about it before and never done the, the research or the work. Like, how much of those fight scenes are really Michael Sarah? <laughs> like, I don't really know. You know, I mean, obviously not all of it because it's, you know, it's special effects and, and you know, we, we're going to the video game, you know, human beings act like video games. But there are times I'm like, when you're, you know, you're looking at it, it's like, well, it looks like he's doing a lot of it. Right. Yeah. No. And, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, if you've ever seen Arrested Development or this or anything else with Michael Sarah, the first thing that doesn't jump into your mind is action sequence. <laughs> yeah. You know. But maybe as, maybe as as many, um, uh, what's it called? It, um, stunt, stunt guys doubles. like Chris Evans. Because <laughs> he had like nine in that one scene. Possibly. <laughs> sure. Possibly. But that was a question. I, uh, does anyone know? Anyone have any idea? No, I don't know. I actually haven't watched too much like making of stuff on it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I, yeah, I would be curious. Because again, I was thinking of, you know, I, I started thinking uh, when, I, when I thought about this question and more a little further, I kept thinking about Edgar Wright movies in particular. Right. And again, most of Edgar Wright's characters aren't necessarily like matinee idol looking characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you got your Shaun of the Dead, you got your characters from Hot Fuzz or... Right. Uh, What's another one I'm thinking of? World's End, which is all of his regular yeah. cast of characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Cornetto tri- Trilogy stuff. So, yeah, none of those guys are, you know, they do so, you know, Hot, Hot Fuzz is a little more. I mean, like you could argue the same thing for right. Shaun of the Dead, but there's not a lot of traditional, quote unquote, action in them. Yeah. Uh, not until you get so. to the cars chases in Baby Driver. I forgot about See, Baby I still haven't seen Baby Driver. Oh, Baby Driver is uh, phenomenal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've heard. It's, it's a good, like, carryover from scott pilgrim and that they're both like very non-traditional musicals i would say okay whereas scott okay. pilgrim you know you get the music numbers through the band and like music permeates it in in baby driver music also permeates it but like the car chases kind of become the dance numbers yeah oh, when okay. he plays is the way i would describe yeah. it but i do recommend baby driver uh, yeah that's yeah that's, <laughs> yeah that's a that's a movie that again passed under the radar yeah mm-hmm. i think i don't think the trailer suits the movie yeah, I can see like a, a a natural progression from Scott Pilgrim to that. Okay, very good. Well, yeah, I mean, I I'm just curious, like, had they played it a little bit closer to at least how I read the books, which again, I don't know. I mean, that could just be me, but like, he he seems scrappier, <laughs> you know. Like, and I wonder if if that would have not made the movie work quite as well right if they if they uh went a little bit more into that 
Does that make sense? Right. I mean, I remember when when I was reading the books before the movie came out, like Michael Sarah is not who I pictured. Same here. As Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> um, but then in the movie, I was like, okay, I'm like, I can go with this. And then when I went back now to read the the volume one, I can be like, okay, no, like I can see that there now. I can see that that hesitancy in this character. I can see like the the underlying neuroses. <laughs> sort of that he puts a, a confident face on but i can read it more now like michael sarah than i could before okay yeah, and plus it plays into what you said zach as how he's so disarming that you don't mm-hmm. think he'd be that he'd be a douchebag but he is right. a douchebag <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's like if you don't look at him and listen to what the whole town is saying about him like no this is a douchebag he just he just hasn't <laughs> realized it yet or no one's called him out on it yet because he keeps moving from x to next in like a heartbeat <laughs> yeah well i mean and there's like in the universe of the movie there's something about him there's right. something likable about him like he gets dates <laughs> he gets know, dates but, pretty like but it's you same, know what i mean and, and and the thing with kim the the allison pill character it's like you know she clearly has hostility towards him but at the same time <laughs> is willing to be around him every day <laughs> right you know sure. what i mean yeah but, i mean she's like, in the band i mean they they go back during high school so it's not like it's um, anger. It, nothing about that whole situation of the movie feels overly angry. Even when like Lucas Lee's character, Chris Evans' character, punch him in the face, he has <laughs> he has gleeful banter between the two of them. You know, <laughs> which is like, yeah. do you hate I him like or do kid. you like yeah, him? That's yeah, what yeah, he says yeah. Through, I yeah, like this kid. Yeah, <laughs> he seems nice. <laughs> yeah, but you, you can't win against the A-lister. Come on, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. So nothing about it. I mean, it's just at one point when you watch the movie again. It's like a battle of who's the worst, because even <laughs> I mean, we talk about Scott, but then we look at Ramona, who is no different than Scott. Mm-hmm. In which her her motivation is that her her knives child is Gideon, in which Gideon was different. No, excuse me, Scott was her knives child, in which after moving from one person to the next person to the next person to the next person, she just wanted somebody different, which was Scott. And it was an escape from her ex, which right. was Gideon. She wanted something. Like, she wanted something simple and, uh, right. yeah. and easy like, and honest. Yeah. And Gideon was her envy. Mm. If you look at it, it again, like I've seen that movie so many times. <laughs> it, the scenes alone, just is, I, I can watch certain scenes like the reveal of Envy Adams and um, okay. her boyfriend to um, Scott and Ramona. I love that. <laughs> no, that's, yeah. inter- that's interesting. No, no, it it it. it it hadn't occurred to me that yeah, I guess you're right. Like, like he he is her knives. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Interesting. And, and it's it's an interesting move as to see it's like who's worse, and you can see him become. I mean, even at one point they have the discussion in the in, in the bar about him yeah. being just another terrible ex, which he does right. become. Mm-hmm. Because uh, when he goes to fight Gideon, he's not better at that point. That's why he loses. Right. But he has to come to the realization. But I love how it's in his head because they established that early on in the movie because she uses his head to travel Amazon faster. <laughs> it's like, what? There's some space tunnels. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, you, you guys don't have that in Canada. We have it in America. It's like, <laughs> right. it's, like a, it's like a throwaway joke, but you get it because it explains as to why she can talk to him in his head after death or why he's dying. Yeah. In order for him to come around and realize what a douchebag he's been. Hence the apologies that he gives her off to everybody damn near. Right. He apologizes to young Neil. 
He apologizes to uh, uh what's uh, the drummer's name? What's her name? Kim. Kim. Thank you. He apologizes to Kim. He apologizes for cheating, you know, yeah. and then he apologizes for himself and wants to uh, beat up Gideon because B- Gideon just needs a butt kicking. It's like, <laughs> got nothing to do with <laughs> trying to get his girl away. He's just a terrible person. Yeah. I do love the, the one up scene just also for, for like what it does, ha- how I relate to it from my video game days back in the day and everything where it is like when you died, but like in dying in the game, you figured out sort of what you needed to do. Yeah, very good. And so game, when yeah. you'd play the level over again, like you're just flying through it. And I just love mm-hmm. that in that scene where like he's going through like all the other guys and he's just he's just he's just Pummeling like them. F you, just skipping yeah. through everything. Just like <laughs> right? he's just yeah. jumping over the bad guys and stuff like that, which is exactly like how how you would play the games. Yeah. It's just interesting that when you say the thing about the subspace tunnels and in, in, in his head, the idea that when he first, you know, he first has that moment of work, like you think it's a dream, he says, Oh, so lonely. It just makes me wonder now if it was one of the things where she sort of like either heard that or grafted on it. I'm like, oh, that's an easy thing I can take care of that I don't have to really do much with. Oh, no, <laughs> definitely. Because she, remember the line he gives her? Were you in my dreams? That's not, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, no, I was, you know. <laughs> okay. why. I was like, oh, okay. It's not a line. It's it's really the thing. Yeah. But no, she, right. but again, it just shows how she's a bad person. She grafted onto the, to the most loneliest or downtrodden person in the area and just mm-hmm. uh, uh, capitalized off it. Sure. I mean, in the, Need the atten- yeah, I mean, in the first Need scene, the attention. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to me, and another thing, too, is what uh, Clifton was saying earlier about how he wanted it simple. When he deals with Ramona, he almost beds her that same night. True. Yeah. yeah. It's and a good scene, though. It's a, it's a sweet scene. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, no, I've decided not to do this thing. And I'm just, you know, you can just chill because I'm not going to throw you out in the cold. He's like, okay, cool. And then. <laughs> Hence the start of his cheating. Yeah. Yeah. So does anyone know if the, if the number at one point worked her phone number? <laughs> no, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Cause it doesn't work now. Uh, I can tell you from experience, it does not work at this moment, <laughs> but um, it was one of the things where like, you know, it's I, I've, I've, I've been pretty good about <laughs> when I see a number in a movie or a te- television show, like right. for example, Every so every every phone number in Better Better Call Saul uh-huh. or Breaking Bad, all of those work. Okay. You can call all those numbers. Wow. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I'm well, yeah. To. You, you, you'll get a recording of somebody from the show, or it'll be someone's actual phone or whatever. <laughs> um, they're all Albuquerque numbers. Um, but this one, I mean, two one two is what New York? Yeah, it's right? Manhattan. So it's one of the things where I wonder what you know. With what if it did? You know, I don't know if it did work or did not work at some point. Right. Um, and then other than the fact that she's kind of. Ramona's character is, is kind of, you know, he's, you know, Scott starts to panic and thinks, oh, she's fickle. I'm done. Right. She's going to be over soon. Is there any significance in the books of her changing her hair color? No, no. because it, the gag doesn't work because the books were black and white. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, her hairstyle changes, but they don't really worry about color and stuff. It's never really brought up. There's one gag in the comic where he asks, is that your natural hair color? And uh-huh. she's like, no, I don't know. Maybe. And her hair is supposed to be blue. <laughs> blue, yeah. <laughs> but it's in a black and white comic, so like yeah. that's what the gag right. is. And then, okay. and then when they colorize that, there, there's a note on the panel that was like, "This joke worked better in black and white." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got gotcha. you. Okay. Yeah, I was curious because it was one thing where it's like I I remember it being more prevalent before I'd watched this this last time, mm-hmm. and then this time I'm like, oh, well, it's not that much. It's not nearly as many times as I thought it was in the. Uh, yeah. No, I'm with you, Frank. I think it changed volume to volume. 
in the comic, okay. in the in the yeah. graphic novel series. So that was about a year okay. apart. I remembered it the same way, Frank. I remember. I'm like, I thought she changed. I thought it was like almost every time we saw her, it was different. Yeah, just about. And it's, I and it's, the same thing. And it's not at all like it's like it's she changes it twice after we meet her initially, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that I was, I was that was the thing that I picked up on. I was like, well, maybe there's something to it, and maybe not. But I guess right. there's nothing to it. So. And then knives changing to try to follow her example is funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. It's a good bit. Which in the in the graphic novel, there's something where she first tries to be Kim because yeah. Kim's oh, wow. close to them, and then she tries to be Ramona. Yeah, she constantly changed her identity or who her role model is in order to be cooler, so to speak. Yeah. But getting the highlights punched out of her hair yeah, is, yeah. An, is an amazing gag. <laughs> it's a good bit. Yeah. yeah. It's a good bit. Yeah. No, I like that too. But in a book, when she um, gets the uh, the knives, it's earlier on as opposed to the ending in the movie. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, she has a fight scene, I think, in volume two. Yeah, where she fights mm. um, Flowers when Flowers has the hammer. And it's introduced mm. at an okay. earlier time. Okay. But go, hey, going back to what I said with the numbers, did you guys catch all the numbers that they tried to um, show you who the X's were, like the subtle hints? I mean, I noticed some of the the use of the X, like actual X's. Like, there's one point where they're walking down a street. Yes, that has like five railroad crossing X's above <laughs> it, and it's after he had already <laughs> fought two of the X's. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I did catch a few things like that, but I know there's more I missed. Yeah, like if you look on the on um, Patel's character, he has one chevron on his left shoulder. Uh, That's to symbolize mm-hmm. the X. The okay. two little X's on the trailer for. Uh, what you call it? Lucas Lee. Right. It's on his trailer and he has a small tattoo of it on his neck. If you look. Okay. And then if you look on his belt, he has two X's as well, <laughs> which is crazy. And then there's another thing with the, um, I'm trying to think, um, Gideon is supposed to be called him G man. Yeah. It's the mm-hmm. seventh, uh, letter in the alphabet. I mean, yeah, uh, it's like, it gets after that starts getting subliminal as far as how they do the, the X's and things of that nature. But those were the ones I can clearly remember as far as without looking into it or having anything um, described. Like when they defeat Gideon, for some reason, everyone else has a certain amount, like 1,000 or 3,000. Gideon is 7 million or 7 billion. <laughs> right, which signify right. he's the seventh one. He's the top boss. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. He's the, and then one thing, that too, one thing after looking at it multiple times, Math Patel was the only one he didn't need help beating. Mm. Everybody else he needed help. Like, well, Lucas Lee, he beats him by accident. Right, he tricks him more He or tricks less. him, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, but the vegan police defeat Todd. Ramona helps him defeat Roxy. Um, I think the Katanagi twins was as a group effort because right, he needed the band members. Yeah. And then um, Knives helps him beat Gideon. I guess it's a little subliminal to make him so like he's not alone. You never, you will never buy yourself type of deal. Right, right. Yeah. Again, that, that movie has a lot of subplots. <laughs> just a dude yeah, trying clearly. to get a girl. No, I missed a ton of this stuff. Like you, Tommy, you've clearly watched the crap out of this. Movie. Oh, I love, <laughs> I love that. I, there's certain scenes I can recite. Jeez, it's just it, to me, it was, it was the best video game movie without saying it's a video game movie. You know, <laughs> it's it's the whole premise behind it. I mean, even if you some of the stuff doesn't even make sense as to how they're moving. Uh, why would he do this? Why would her ex get a group of her exes? together to beat up the new guy only to be with him it, it makes no sense for that. <laughs> right and they all die as a result of well, but it, but it's gideon them. who did that though right i mean that that's the that's the part i like too where he's just like 
sorry about this whole thing. I was in kind of a bad place after the breakup and I, you know, I put this whole thing together. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it Which, took I me mean, two in a weird hours. way, that's, that's relatable too. We're like, you know, he's, he's in mourning for the breakup, you know, and, and, you know, he's not taking it the best way. So, you know, he's funneling his anger into, into, you know, rather than getting over it, moving on. Yeah. Right. Was the the lines that are funny. He's like, we got together to control the love life of Ramona flowers. I mean, like what? (laughs) (laughs) It's a game. What? But no, right. Yeah, there's there's so much of that that's just over the top funny that I don't think we'll ever get a movie like this (laughs) in in, in this form from that source material. Like, hell, even it's weird, too, what the subliminals that um, um, Edgar Wright does. Like when Scott's at the party where it says Plumtree, Mm -hmm. it's the name of an all girl band that had a song called Scott Pilgrim. Right, that, that inspired, inspired the whole character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, yeah I didn't. I didn't bring that stuff up before, but yeah, there's a band called Plum Tree that was high school. Like they formed in junior high. They operated from like 1993 to 2000. Mm-hmm. Put out three or four albums with like four EPs. Uh, one of their songs was called Scott Pilgrim. They were from Nova Scotia, and they were like a kind of like indie rock like light punk surf rock band <laughs> and he was a big fan of theirs and because they were around the same age as him and, and one of their songs was called scott pilgrim which was the song i know it's on the soundtrack and it's just about like a guy they have a crush on <laughs> and and that's like all the song is about it's just like the, how much they like this guy named scott pilgrim so he just kind of like imagined like who this scott pilgrim was yeah and this is what he came up with huh very cool you hear a glimpse of the song of the actual Scott Pilgrim song uh, when I think he's first going to his and Wallace's place. In place, yeah, that's where you hear and, the song. Yeah, and then you do hear some other music by Plumtree on the soundtrack. Yeah, I do think it's interesting also along the fact about him having to grow up is the idea that <laughs> you want to see the place I grew up. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's across the street. It's it's, it's across the street. Yeah, they just turn around, and there it is. <laughs> yeah, it's almost it's it's almost like, especially the fact that he doesn't have his own bed. It's almost like he's having an extended sleepover. Yeah, right. with Wallace, where he won't like. There's not even like. There's nothing there for him to even be to really claim that it's his. When they show the diagram of all the panels of like what's his and what's Wallace's, it's like no, then it's yeah. not really your place, man. You're just you're just crashing. Right. Really. Yeah. So. I like how they make fun. Yeah, they make fun of that all the movie when he's with Wallace. Like the fact that I, I like the fact of how he doesn't sleep with. Um, yeah, he wakes up to tell. He wakes up from having a nightmare to tell the guys he's sleeping with. Like everyone's gay but <laughs> him in the bed, and he tells them he's like, "You just sleep with her." And one of the guys like, "What are you gay?" Yeah, right. <laughs> like, this, yes. this is so weird. Or when he's trying to set up a date with Ramona, and he wants uh uh. Wallace to leave said so you might gay up the place. And then yeah. <laughs> when he saw self-conscious, uh, uh, Wallace throws back the line said, and I'm the gay one? You know? Yeah, I might, and I might gay it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, I might gay it up. Yeah, it's, uh, the joke's in that. It's, it's, you want it to be a kid's show, kid's movie, but it's definitely not a kid's movie, <laughs> you know? But you can watch it with kids because there's no way they'll get half the jokes that they make fun of. <laughs> like, I'm not uh, by curious, I'm by furious, you know? Right <laughs> from Mae Whitman, classic line. Yeah, yes, yeah. A lot of good performances in this movie. Yeah, Wallace is a great character, and mm-hmm. and Karen Culkin's performance is phenomenal. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like he he plays it so well because a lot of the lines are in the comic, but like he delivers them perfectly. Perfectly. Mm. Yeah. Anna Kendrick too. Not not a big yeah. role, but I mean she she crushes it in every yeah. scene. Yeah, she's, she's great. Yeah, she's phenomenal too. But again, speaking of speaking of of crush it, we didn't really talk that much about about Andy Adams. Right. Oh yeah, big time. And she is she is really good. Like I love her deliveries in this. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. She's another one that just, you know, it could come off easily being, you know, in, in a movie that is very, you know, not really re- grounded so much in reality, but dealing with bigger themes. She d- she could come off as typical, just like, a you know, kind of like a scene stealing or a scene chewing villain, right. which doesn't really come off that way. Yeah. Like she commands as much presence as she needs to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. I, I like how every time Scott brings her up, you see her picture. Right. Mm. Like when he's talking about her and then you see in the background behind him pictures they took like at a photo booth yeah. <laughs> and when she leaves him. <laughs> and then when he's discussing <laughs> in the music store, when he bring up her band, you see the, the standee of her. <laughs> yeah. <the> yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. And then before she appears, there's a poster of her on the wall behind where she appears. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. And then when she's standing there, it's like, wait a minute, it's moving. It's like, no, that's her. <laughs> she's standing right there. Yeah, oh my gosh. The scenes, man. But yeah, I, like I didn't know um, much about Brie Larson at the time. I think she had been on. Uh, was it United States of Tara? Was she the daughter? Yeah, yeah. she was the. I think yeah, that she was, was the her teenage girl. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just like the, just the the lines where it's just kind of like a 1940s vibe. <laughs> like yeah, just, a little bit. It somehow works. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit femme fatale, 40s style. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's the one in this movie that I had no idea who she was until years after. And oh, I was like, oh, that's Brie Larson. Oh, wow. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think her yeah. breakout movie was what? The Room or Room? Yeah. And that was her Oscar winner. Yeah. Yeah. I 21 Jump Street was where I first like, like took notice okay. of her. You know what I mean? That was where that was where like I knew her name. I would say, you know. Yeah. Mm. Right. Well, I vaguely remember her in Community. She played us one chick named Rachel. Okay. Yeah. 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 I remember when the movie was in production and like I was following the news because like I was a fan of the books. So I want to see. And Edgar Wright at the time was like big on social media. I mean, he still is. But I just remember all throughout the production, like he put up so much stuff when they were on set filming this movie. And Mm. every cast member got like a cast announcement that was. Basically, they would put up a picture of like Brian Lee O'Malley drawing of the character covering half of the actor's face. Oh, okay. And and that would be like your guess of like who is that and who is that? And it was always like, you know, one after another after another for like every part. I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, there's Chris Evans, who had been in um Fantastic Four and, and other stuff by then. Okay. And and was known and then like Jason Schwartzman. I just remember it being like a big deal every time they'd reveal yet another like amazing actor actress that was going to be in this thing oh wow yeah getting back to the whole thing with the 40s like the femme fatale thing i thought it was i thought she played the fact that she was she came off as being very in control of the situation but it didn't take much to strip away the veneer that she had right mm-hmm. oh yeah because when he calls her what natalie she sort of has that moment of like oh no one really calls me <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right yeah that's a name yeah. I haven't heard in a long time. No time, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, he even mentioned yeah. in the beginning, it's like I used to call her Nat, but when she stopped taking that name is when she left me. You know, it's it's yeah. just it's again another example of 
how their breakup was and how they lost their connection and whatever. But I just like how the interconnect between him and Ramona is just the same. <laughs> it's the same person dealing with different things. Yes. I love Ramona in this though. I would easily see a pre, I would easily read like a prequel comic that's about her, <laughs> even though we kind of get her story anyway. But yeah, no, I mean, she, she was my favorite character re rewatching this mm-hmm. for some reason. I don't know why. I mean, I just like, I, I was interested in, in the dynamic where, right. She wants something simple, but there's something also about Scott that she kind of, that she's, I, I do find it legit that she's actually kind of, like getting into him along the way. Right. And, mm-hmm. and there's, there's a beautiful scene. I think I, it's after the, the Todd fight, I believe, I think it's after the third one where they're like, everybody's like after the gig and they're about to go someplace else or whatever. And they're just like in a, in, in a restaurant getting like pizza yeah, and he's like pizza, holding, pizza. yeah, he's like holding the Coke zero head, like can like against his head and everything. And he <laughs> just looks miserable. Right. And there's a moment, like where she's looking at him and it's just sort of, she's like, we don't have to go to this. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, which, which I think every, every couple's like had that conversation also. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have to do this. He's like, no, 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 we'll, we'll do we'll it. Do but it. I just yeah, think, yeah. I just think that it's cool that like, that she's seeing what this guy is like willing to do for her right. and what he's going through. And, and, and I just, but that scene made me like her more. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, well, Okay. No, she's definitely a dynamic character throughout the house. She's cool, calm, and collected. But the more the more she gets into it, the more she breaks down. I, yeah. I, I like that one long. I like the scene where she breaks down her relationship with Gideon, in which she describes that she was never more lonely than with anybody than with Gideon than she was right. even by herself. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she acted by her acting out and doing this. She got more attention than she ever did when she was actually with him. Yeah, right. exactly. He didn't care until she left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which, but, which, which is the lure for, for her to come back. Yeah. I think, right? Yeah, no, it's, I think that there's a lot of subtlety to her performance too. And, and there's the, um, the moment where there, she's goes to the, to his gig to watch him play. Mm-hmm. And she, right? and, and, and she's like sitting in the balcony and like, there's his sister and knives is right there and everything. There's a moment where I think where she sees him play and it, it just, it, it cuts like a quick shot of her and she's like smirking. And I think that's the moment where she's like, okay, like, like yeah, there's something to this guy, and it's and it's the same moment that like that knives like kind of goes like huge, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but much more understated. <laughs> yeah. She sees him perform, and that's when knives is like, "You guys are amazing," but amazing. really, but it's also like, I mean, but she she's Gaga over Scott. Oh no, big time! You know? Yeah, no, you see it in that. But I, I'll go yeah. back to what you said, Zach, earlier. This movie is like about that years in your life where self discovery. I think mm-hmm. all of them go through it. I mean, you get that moment with um, knives at the end. Where she finally comes into her own, where she doesn't need Scott. Mm-hmm. You got um, that with Ramona, where she comes into her own and she knows that the relationship with Gideon and Scott's not working. She can walk away from both without feeling like she's the worst anymore. You even get the um, situation with um, Sex Bomb, which uh, ultimately they get the big contract deal. And when remember when Scott goes into them, they're like corporate and like which they have to wear their own, their, yeah. whatever they say they have to wear. <laughs> and this is what you're <laughs> fighting for. And at yeah. the end, they don't like that either. It's, I bet, yeah, it's watching it and see the individuals. It's a lot about self discovery in which you think you want this, but it's not really what you want. You know, that's what I get from it. Yeah. I think Kim too. I think, I think Kim by the end of it, like, like, I don't want to say forgives him, but I think, I think she's, she sees that he's, 
realizing some potential finally. Yes. Right. And even though it's not like geared towards her, where I mean, clearly, like that's still like like you know a wound for her. Mm-hmm. You know, but she's able she's able to sort of like to you know to back him up. Yeah, you even, you even get that with envy when yeah. um when um what's his name um dies uh Todd. Oh, I love that part. I still love that part. <laughs> Vegan <laughs> police. And they show up with, with, they don't have guns. They're just pointing their fingers at him. Yeah, just <laughs> take them out. Like in, in the, in the <laughs> you know, making gun gun signs with their fingers. It's oh. like the spirit gun from Yu Yu Hakusho, which was yes, the Yeah, it was the old anime. <laughs> <laughs> I like when he punches him to the sky and he drops. He said, it, yes. And when he comes down, he says, uh, Eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And they have like whole lines while he's busy falling down to the earth and stuff. <laughs> It's like, would you? What was he say with the with the rain? Oh my God! If if I'm repeating my past and I told you it's from the rain, and she's like, it's not raining, Scott. <laughs> but nah, that, that, yeah, I love that movie. I can watch that endlessly, like once a month, easily. Yeah, no, it's a it's a good movie. It's a good book. Good books. Brian Lee O'Malley's great. You know, um, it, it's interesting that he's never revisited this. I mean. He's a writer artist, so you know he doesn't he doesn't churn stuff out super quick, right? You know what I mean. But it it is it, I've always expected him to sort of like get coaxed into revisiting this world in some capacity, you know. And there's not been a whole lot there. I mean, I guess there's been like like animated shorts or something. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, Clifton. I think there was something that was released kind of close to the movie. Yeah, it was just like a like a quick small thing. Right. And mm. then there's been a couple like outside of the graphic novels. There were a couple short comics that appeared in other things like an Oni Free Comic Book Day comic as a as a Scott Pilgrim short. He was involved in the creation of the video game that came out around the time of the movie, but there's a there's a movement to try to get the game released again, but he unfortunately doesn't have any control of that. Right. But I'm sure would like to see that happen. Well, and there was talk also like pretty recently, I think, about them doing like an anime inspired uh, by Scott heard. Pilgrim, right? Yeah, Tommy, no, I, I thought I that. thought you brought that up at one point, didn't you? As an anime idol? I'm not yeah. quite sure. I would know. I'd love the idea if that was that came to fruition. <laughs> Ain't wrong. Because I still have the original um PS3 version of the game on there. That thing's amazing. It's, <laughs> it's definitely River City Ransom. Yeah, I'm not hooking that yeah. up to the internet or nothing. And and it makes that game even more amazing is you can be a Kim, Scott, and two other people. I just can't come to mind. But each one has their own path. I mean, they play the same levels, but they have their own journey of self-discovery, so to speak. Oh, Ramona's went another place. And I want to say the last one's Knives, just because of their, their battle gear and what they do with it. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But no, I wish. Oh, my God. That'd be an amazing idea. Have that as an anime style. Oh, yeah. I think there was a board game at one point a few years back that okay. that he did the art and assets for. Yes, huh. but I do remember some board game at Barnes and yeah. Nobles that I should like have a tabletop up. game or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as far as the books go, though, like are the are the black and white editions still in print anywhere, or is like the color edition sort of like like the version that's out right now? I'm not sure because. Like now, the when they first put the color editions out, they put them out in hardcover, but then they put out paperback versions of mm-hmm. of the colored yeah. editions. So those might have supplanted the black and white paperback versions, which were the original publication. So I'm not sure. And I think digital versions, Comixology is the color version. 
I, I mean, I remember black and white versions like before the movie came out because right. Clifton, like, like you, you would point them out to me because I know, like, you were the one person I knew that was into Scott Pilgrim before the movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, after the fact, it's just been only the color editions, which I mean, they're great. I love them. Yeah, like, Nathan I mean, they're Fairbain beautiful. Is the, beautiful Fairbain books. Is the colorist on that book, and he does a phenomenal job. Yeah. Yeah, they're beautiful looking books. But uh, Clifton, you're the only one that read the books, right? Before the movie? Oh, well, it completely read them. I know oh. uh, Zach saw the fr- read the first two or three, correct? Yeah, yeah. If, you ha- if you haven't read them, Tommy, then yeah, then I'm the only one who's read oh, them. No, no, <laughs> I read them too because I was going to refer to the ending of the books, which differs from the okay. movie. That's right. why. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've read them. Okay. I do, I do like the mirror match thing in the movie where it's like, because <laughs> again, it's another video game trope, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Where, where Scorpion's fighting, you know, <laughs> you know the, the mirror Scorpion, right. who's like slightly shaded darker. Yeah, you yeah, know the, what I mean? the but, color swap. But I, I just love, yes. I just love the the gag to it, where it's like, of course, why wouldn't they get along? They're the same person. Like, you know, <laughs> they just walk yes. out of there, and like, all right, let's do brunch sometime. <laughs> you know, they play, they use the negascot in the in, in the, the final volume of the graphic novel, but it's oh, done yeah. to a different effect. It basically represents all the stuff he doesn't want to admit about himself. Yes. Right. And uh, then he, he doesn't really defeat it. He kind of loses to it and then remembers everything. And then right. like remembers all the horrible stuff he's done. Yeah. No, I remember you telling me that like, like around the movie, uh, when you were saying that like, it is used more in the book and everything. And it does yeah. scream in the movie a little bit that like, it's just a gag. That's like too good to pass up. So we're going to put it in, but we don't really have time to do much with it. Right. So we're just going to make, but I do like the joke. I mean, it's, yeah, no, it's a, it's a funny gag in the movie <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yes. Yeah. But the book definitely minds the meaning of it to a, a, a more of a psychological effect. Yeah. Okay. But I, yeah, but I thoroughly enjoyed the book. Uh, I liked how they go into depth about his issues and what's discussed as opposed to how the, the comedic tone of the movie and how that develops and how it's used. Yeah. It is interesting because he wrote the graphic novels over about seven years total i think if i remember right i think they came out every year except for one there was a there was a gap on one year i'm going to double check on that i believe he has carpal tunnel i believe he has carpal tunnel so so i think honestly i think that's why like like some of his stuff's a little slow to come out too okay yeah we had volume one is 2004 volume two was 2005 volume three 2006 volume four 2007 then uh volume five 2009 and and volume six uh 2010 right before the movie's release and and it is interesting seeing like when you read them you see the evolution of him as an artist and as a creator like his is the i mean his art develops over time um he just becomes much more daring in the illustrations he's making in the drawings he makes and the choices he makes and also the the ideas become like more nuanced and more sophisticated as it goes on, I thought. So it is it is really interesting to see it as, as an evolution of him in his early young adult life, uh, growing as a creator while he's doing this coming of age story about yeah. this character and friends loosely based on on some of his friends. And he and he he wasn't working on anything else at the time either. Right. Like he doesn't pop up. And I mean, he has other work that's come up, I believe, before Scott Pilgrim. Am I right? I mean. Yeah, he did. Lost at Sea was published before Scott Pilgrim. Okay. And then mm. he had done um, some work with, like, popped up doing stories for some other indie books, like yeah. short pieces in. Okay. 
but yeah so but he doesn't really have like a ton of other like like his his catalog is actually like relatively small for somebody who's been at it for for as long as, as long as he has and as somebody who who has the name that he has i mean right. his name does carry some cachet yeah out there for sure yeah i think seconds was the yeah. the last thing he released after scott pilgrim the graphic yeah. novel seconds which i enjoyed i read that too yeah where he where he he was he was writer and artist on that and but he's he's writer on snot girl but he doesn't do the art right right okay Snot Girl, I have not read, but Seconds, I have read. I like Seconds a lot. Yeah, Seconds a whole is lot, really a good. whole lot actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a great. It's a great book. Um, okay, so with that in mind, though, uh, let's close out by uh, by. Do we each have another like indie comic book that we think would make a really good movie that we want to see made? I have one, like something that flies under the radar that audiences oh, yeah. would appreciate. Yeah, I have one. It's 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 glaring. It's why not produce Seconds. <laughs> well, there you go yeah. yeah i'm 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 so happy you said that one. yeah oh my gosh <laughs> that that would be the one you push out that that to me that works as a sequel and more work to see what his other work can be developed into yeah it's a little bit more of a drama oh it's definitely more. i think for, from what i'm remembering like it's that it's not as bombastic and 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 big right you know yeah. it's it's a you know it's a little bit more of a, of a uniform tone yes right very but, self-contained. Yeah, but it's still great. It's, I mean, guys, it's a big book. I remember and that was another one. I think I read in like <laughs> yes. a day. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. I love seconds. I second that one. No pun intended. <laughs> Sorry. There you go. Jeez. Jeez. <laughs> Frank, you got one? I do have one. I was thinking about this. So I was trying to figure out an indie book and I thought I, you know, I know they were, they've done some small stuff with it but I don't think they've done anything really like on a grand scale. And I think they definitely could. I'd love to see black sad. Okay. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Adapted. I'd love to see in some long-term long form, you know, whether they start with the first one or do a couple shorts, put together in one longer movie. I think if, you know, a major studio got behind it animation wise, I think it'd be, you know, if it's done in the style of the book, it'd be gorgeous, you know, really, really lush, uh, uh, lushly animated, you know, movie. If you're unfamiliar with Black Sad, the story of it's basically noir done with with animals, the anthropomorphic story. It's really, really good stuff. But that's the one I would like to see. Yeah, it's an Italian book, right? I thought it was French uh, or French. Was, I can't remember. It's a European no, <laughs> import. Yeah. I do know that. <laughs> I was gonna say I think I believe it's Spanish. Spanish, but I'm not okay. Sure. It's Juan Diaz Canales, uh, yes. writer, and uh, Juanjo Carnito. I think Juan Juanjo Carnito. Uh, on art yeah. and the art is is beautiful like yeah, it's it's really nice painted stuff. rendered beautifully uh it's yeah, definitely good my... stuff so if anyone's not familiar with it go look at some of this stuff because it's great i picture yeah. like like old school traditional animated like disney yeah for the oh, look of it too. like you know you may you may have to get some of those guys out of retirement if they're not working you know what i mean yeah mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah but it's by french publisher Dargaud. Okay. So okay. both authors are Spanish. Their main target audience for Black Side is the French market. Uh, that's, why. Man, that's why. And so the volumes okay. are published first in French, then the spat. Then month, one month later comes a Spanish edition. Then you know. Gotcha. And then eventually America. we get them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I believe there's there's four volumes so far. Dark Horse for a while had the the uh, had the license here. Right. Definitely worth checking out. Really, really great stuff. Yeah, I believe what the names of those were somewhere within the shadows. The one I read is Amarillo, A Silent Hell, Red Soul. 
mm-hmm. and something else I can't think of. But no, it even dropped a video game for it too on the Switch. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I haven't checked that out. I'll definitely check that one out. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Calista, what's yours? For my pick, I'm jumping in the Wayback Machine. Oh, boy. And going not too far back, to the 90s. Oh, okay. Good. And I'm going to say they finally need to make something based on Scud, the disposable assassin. <laughs> sure. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Which uh, ran, it's a, a indie comic published under the imprint Fireman Press, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, written and drawn by Rob Schrab and Dan Harmon. <laughs> oh really and, i didn't know that yeah and okay. uh, it ran from uh 1994 to 1998 and then was finally completed in 2008 because there oh, were wow. a couple issues that were never published to to mm. close it out and then they put out a big collection of all of them the entire run of the series from image comics in 2008 and in that included uh some of the lost issues that oh, had cool. never run and it had been uh, option. Well, first of all, I'll describe what it is. The premise of it is that it takes place in a, a future world where you can get a robot assassin out of a vending machine and just assign it somebody to kill. And then once it goes and, and kills its target, then it, that it self-destructs because its job is done. And we follow Scud, which is one of these robots, uh, assassins out of a vending machine, who, before he terminates his target, sees his self-destruct warning on his back and realizes that if he kills this person, then he will die himself. And so he <laughs> maims his target and then just keeps him on life support <laughs> just so he won't die, but right. then has to take other assassin jobs to pay for the life support to keep his first target alive, but incapacitated. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's the premise of it. Yeah. It's, it's a very over-the-top, like cartoonish book, but like tons of, of fun action scenes. Uh, very funny. It was also published initially, originally black and white. It, it had like a very MTV liquid television feel to yeah. it. For, for like, that's what, that's always, that's the, that's the parallel I always drew, drew to okay. it in my head. Like I, I, for some reason I always associated that and like the visual style of like Ian flux <laughs> for some reason, even though they have like right. nothing to do with each other. Right. Right. <laughs> It's not as melancholy as Aeon Flux, but it's a little no, more, it's a little more spastic. What is, though, really? <laughs> <laughs> but it was optioned uh, early on when, when Rob Schraub and Dan Harmon, I guess, went out to Hollywood. It was optioned, and then just nothing ever happened once, the product, once it was picked up. And then the rights have since reverted back to Rob Schraub, and he's been working you know, in Hollywood. He was involved in the Sarah Silverman show as a writer, mm. but then he was also a producer on community. Right. And, um, monster house, the animated movie was one of the first scripts he sold when he went to Hollywood and which is also very good. But, uh, once the rights reverted back to him, he has said that he was not going to sell them out again. He's hoping to hold on to it to where he could make the movie himself someday. So okay. hopefully he does. Hopefully he does get that chance and we do get to see it because I think it would be a very fun movie to watch. Reminds me of Earthworm Jim for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. OK, so mine, I'm going to pick. We almost got this one, too, um, for, for a little while. Actually, I'm really happy you said seconds, Tommy, because that was also on my list. I almost said that one. OK, but now uh, I get to go to my second choice, which is Mouse Guard. 
right? Ooh. Mouse Guard is uh, for, for those who happened. don't know. Almost happened, yeah. Yeah, it's basically like a fantasy ep- epic, that, you know, is that's about these little uh, little mice. <laughs> basically, little and medieval is, mice. Yeah, it is. It is great. It is a beautiful looking book. It is the the art is absolutely gorgeous. It's a uh, uh, written and drawn by a creator named David Peterson and everything. Um, so you know he the book is still in in print it's still coming out it's coming out a little slowly at times uh it does appear to be a book that takes a long time to 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 work but they also have like legends of mouse guard too which is the the book has gotten popular enough that like other creators are jumping on board to do like short stories set in the world uh and i think there's just like role-playing games that you can get like off of um off of david peterson's site and everything like that um it's a wonderful book i love it I absolutely love it. So yeah, I would, uh, and you know, like I said, we almost got it. Um, hopefully we will get it down the line. Uh, but that's my pick. So, all right. So before we wrap up, we want to remind you guys that next week is our Rick and Morty cowboy bebop viewing challenge. Frank and I chose five episodes of each to try and win the other over. So, uh, if you'd like to follow along at home, here are the list of episodes that we've selected for Rick and Morty. We have from, uh, season one, episode five, me seeks and destroy season one episode six rick potion number nine season one episode 18 rixie minutes uh season two episode one rickle in time season two episode four total recall so that's rick and morty and then from cowboy bebop we have episode one asteroid blues episode five ballad of fallen angels episode 11 toys in the attic episode 15 my funny valentine and episode 16, Black Dog Serenade. Don't worry. We'll post this list on letmenowhowitis.com where you can also find our notes section and you can see links to some of the things that come up in conversation. You can also find our YouTube page also. Don't forget to subscribe there as well. Leave your thoughts in the comment section. While you're there, uh, suggest a topic for us. We just might use it on the air. And finally, don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash letmenowhowitis and follow us on Twitter at our show's initials L-M-K-H-I-I. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.